When Glenn was in grade seven, he got in trouble at school. So he had to write an apology letter to the vice principal. Dear Mr. Rankin, I'm so sorry about what happened at recess today. It was an accident. I'm sorry Sean got hurt and that he had to go to the dentist. I know we should use our words and not get mad. But what happened is I was doing a karate move with my hand and Sean put his face where my hand was going and my hand hit his face. I didn't try to hurt his face on purpose, but he shouldn't have put his face there. That's Glenn reading an apology letter to his vice principal. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is a very special episode of Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. It's a very special episode because it's the final podcast episode of season six, and it is the 13th anniversary of the show. That's right. Long before there was a podcast, Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids was a live event, and we've been doing it for 13 years. So to celebrate all of this, we decided to pick some of our all-time favorite readings to play for you. Not all of them, of course. At this point, we have recorded thousands of readings and we've released more than 130 podcast episodes. So these are just a few of the readings that really stuck with us over the years. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. So much of what we hear on stage is about what social scientists call liminality, these moments of transition in life where things are especially confusing because we're changing. We're not who we used to be, but we're not yet who we're going to become. That is liminality, the awkwardness of being in between. Our next reader, Deborah, shared a few selections from the diary she kept in 1971, written over the course of about two weeks. And they're all about a very particular rite of passage. Please welcome Deborah to the Grown Ups Three Things They Wrote at the Stage. Proof that God is a man. Who else would think of having girls bleed from their private area? (laughs) And God must be angry at me because he planned it to happen on Sunday at the Holman's pool party. I, I was vainly showing off my new bathing suit. David laughed in his sneaky way and asked me where the mud was I had sat in. I was so embarrassed and scared, and I had to go home with a towel wrapped around me. Mrs. Holman looked sympathetic and told me to see my mother. Diary, it was not red. It was coming from my body in brown clumps, and it hasn't stopped. And when you go to the bathroom, it sticks to the pad I have to wear because I'm getting hairs. It it is all so awful. Mom says I will get used to it and to be happy because this is natural. I am growing up. My breasts will start to break through my skin now. And I will get pimples. Naturally awful, I say. I hate, hate, hate the safety pins and the belt that I have to wear to hold up the pad between my legs. I can't walk and Dad and David just laugh. 
I can't go to school tomorrow. Everyone will know. I don't have a purse to carry supplies. And Barb says that if you need pads, you have to go to the principal's office and ask the secretary. She is always miserable. I don't like her. She hands it to you in a brown paper lunch bag, I am told. I'm so upset, and it just makes me have more cramps. I feel sick. I learned this happens to every woman in the world, even those in Africa. (laughs) Mandy's in heat and bleeds all over the kitchen floor. Mom says this is because she's not spayed. They're going to the vets next week. I asked if I could get spayed too. just laughed and told me I was stupid. I'm I'm worried about dry humping too, like she does. She does it to our legs all the time. I've not started doing that yet, but maybe I will. I think there is more going on than mom and Nancy are saying. Everything about this is awful. This has been a hard, hard week. The most difficult of my life. It is so difficult to share with you, diary, because it is yucky, really, truly the yuckiest. Mom says I'm becoming a woman, but I don't want that. I'm only 12. Barb told me I can now have a baby, but who wants that before I even have my babysitting badge? every 28 days until I am as old as Norma. It's, it's called a cycle. I will need a calendar. And Nancy calls the bleeding the time of the month. When it happened on Sunday, Mom says, oh, now I understand why you had been so extra hard to tolerate on Saturday. She said she should have seen the signs. I couldn't stop crying. I just wanted to be alone and eat chips. (laughs) This will also happen every month of my life. It is called pre-blood. I have to lay on the floor now with my legs up on the couch to get comfortable watching TV. My back hurts. My life is over before it even begins. Thought it was going to be beautiful becoming a woman like Anne Marie and that girl or Mary Richards in Minneapolis. They must get their periods too. How do they keep it a secret from Donald or Lou? A dog ran across the street and sniffed me today. Horrible. I asked Barb if boys bleed from their bums so they can make babies too, and if it makes them to be in a bad mood like Andrew Fraser. She says they get premature ejaculation from their pee parts. But she didn't know what that was. She just kept flicking her finger at me. We we need to look at the book from her mom, Doris, called What Every Girl Should Know. Some older girls were talking in the bathroom at school. It is like a secret club. Those that have begun and those that have not. I have only told Darlene, Janice, and Barb. Mom has gotten me a present. She is trying her best to make me feel better. I will now have a monthly subscription to Miss Chatelaine magazine to celebrate my monthly. I don't feel like celebrating. This is no party. Now everywhere I look, I see blood. 
There was an article in the paper about Judy Chicago doing an art installation on Menzies with a completely red bathroom with the garbage can full of rolled up pads. How disgusting. I have heard that boys play with themselves all the time and leave stains on sheets, but I never heard of a girl who plays with themselves. Is that another natural thing, diary? I wish you could talk to me. You are my best friend, and I'm scared. I keep staring at everyone's private parts at school. Even Miss Weebs, to see if they're having their period or not. So far, I can't tell. Why is it called a period anyway? Poor Dawn had hers yesterday, and when she leaned over, the boys started laughing, and Dougie pulled her sanitary belt and snapped it onto her back. It was funny. Dawn started to cry Barb says it's like a cavern down there Dark and wet Only married ladies are allowed to wear tampons And it takes a lot of Vaseline They, They look like bullets in a cardboard holder And I heard a story that Darlene's sister forgot to pull the string And it got lost up there And she had to go to the hospital so they could dig it out. It's so frightening being a girl. What else are they not telling us? Thank you. When Jason was 14, he kept a journal. In it, he chronicled what he now calls the life of a pretty dramatic gay teen. Here's Jason. Um, So I'm going to be reading from a journal that I kept when I was 14. It was 1986, and my favorite TV show was Dynasty. (laughs) If you were a member of the opposite sex, what would your name have been? I know that if I had been a girl, my name would have been Candace. Names are strange things. I'm not talking about names like egotist and show-off. I'm talking about our own personal ones, like John and Betty. (laughs) Names can be long, short, stupid, or elegant. When I hear the name Faye, a name I personally like, (laughs) you know, 14-year-old kid. I conjure up a vision of a wealthy, sophisticated fashion designer. (laughs) She has jet black hair pulled tightly into a bun. She has olive-colored skin, and she is wearing a black knee-length skirt with an oversized yellow smock-like jacket (laughs) with shoulder pads to make her waist look slender. An extremely attractive woman. Sometimes, though, names are stupid and cruel. There was once a lady on the Phil Donahue show, and her name was Holly Wood. My mother works with a man named Pete Peterson, and when he answers the phone, it sounds like he has a speech deficiency. Better known as a stuttering problem. How would you like it if your name was Thomas Thomas or Catherine St. Catherine's? 
I personally like elegant names such as Ashley, <laughs> Corinne, Faye, Emily, and Alexandra. I wish to name my daughters these, but if I have a boy, Hunter, Adam, Alexander, or Cole will satisfy me. I was thinking the other day that if I ever came, became an actor, I think I would change my name to Alexander Terrell. I love this name. I wish I had been named Alexander, but since I am only going to become a psychologist, Jason Allen will suffice. This is another entry. I titled it Favorites of Mine. One night, as I was just about to go to bed, I had a brainstorm. It was of all the things in life I love. On the top of the list, I love the smell of a dry tea bag. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> you know. <clears throat> I also love the Flowers in the Attic series of books by V.C. Andrews. Yeah. There are four books in this set, and when I completed the last page of the last book, I cried for ten minutes. I shed more tears than when my grandmother died. I love glamour. Tuxedos are my favorite kind of clothing. I have only ever worn three, but when I put one on, I feel as if I have been transformed into some sort of wealthy man. I also love applause. <laughs> Just the thought of staring into a blinding white light and hearing loud claps all put together makes my skin go cold. I flash a smile, and the clapping increases until finally there is a roar, and everyone ascends off of their seats and straightens their knees to give me, Alexander Terrell, a standing ovation. I love the White House. When I was there, I felt as if I owned it. Walking down the main corridor to the Red Room or the Blue Room made me feel like the president's son. I love New York City. I love the idea of arriving at Saks Fifth Avenue in a long black limousine. No one can see inside because all of the windows are smoked. The car slows down and I get ready to run into the store to buy hundreds, even thousands of dollars worth of clothing. Some other things I love are the color aqua. 
rolling my pants up in the summer. The movie The Color Purple by Steven Spielberg. Diamonds. Christmas. The 1812 Overture. The smell of a florist shop. Elevators. And Revlon commercials. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Our next reader, Tony, grew up in a small town in Newfoundland with a population around 200. I drank for the first time when I was 12, my first cigarette I was 12, had my first kiss at 13, and lost my virginity in a shed where fishermen store their gear in January. So (laughs) it doesn't really get much more Newfie than that. So, um... A quick heads up, Tony's reading does include some cuss words, which we do not bleep. There's your heads up. Here's Tony reading a few selections from the diary she kept from ages 10 to 14. I'll take your rep right back to grade 5, uh, June 5th. Maurice said that I don't have boobs. Well, you know what? He doesn't have a dick. <laughs> At least I can stuff my bra. He can't stuff his dick. <laughs> well, that was mean. Maybe he does have a dick. But even if he does, then it's probably really small. Like the size of his stupid grape-sized nuts. I I friggin' hates him, and he can go right to hell. So this was four days later on June 9th. I think I'm in love with Maurice. You know, maybe he likes me too. But I can't let men get in the way of my dream of becoming the first female prime minister. tall either, so I don't think that would look good for my political image. Um, it's a couple weeks later. Um, I got into some really deep shit today. My friend Sarah slept over and we watched scary movies. Then around 12, I decided to do something that would make me into a real woman. I found Dad's razor in the bathroom cupboard and I was ready to shave my legs for the very first time. Mom won't let me do it. She says the hair will grow back darker and thicker. I still don't believe her. What happened was I broke out in hives because I was supposed to use shaving cream and water. I just can't wait until I'm the premier of Newfoundland so I can pay someone to shave my legs for me. Um, This is a couple years later. Um, It was actually the night that I finished grade 7. Uh, Last night, I had my first kiss. 
I, Tony Kearney, at exactly 13 years of age and approximately 9.35 p.m. in Conch, Newfoundland, had my first kiss. Yes, bye, and it wasn't very good at all. <laughs> you see, it was with me buddy Nate. Now I know what you're thinking. Nate is my best friend. Well, yes, Nate is my best friend, which is why I thought kissing him would be okay and not weird at all. Unfortunately, I was very wrong about that one. <laughs> and I am not usually wrong about anything. <laughs> it was really disgusting and almost positive it wasn't supposed to be that weird. In fact, it was so weird that right after I kissed Nate, I also kissed my friend Sarah and Natasha. <laughs> On the lips, and it might have been with tongue. Cody and Derek saw this happen, and now they keep calling us the three lesbian amigos. <laughs> I'm not a lesbian. I really like boys. But you know what? I think being a lesbian would be great, because then you wouldn't have to deal with boys and their shit. <laughs> but unfortunately, I am attracted to boys, or I think I am. <laughs> Hopefully the next time I kiss a boy, it'll be a lot better than kissing Nate. Did I mention I had four beer and a Smirnoff ice cooler? So that explains all the kissing. <laughs> I just wish Cody and Derek would stop bringing it up that me, Sarah, and Tasha kissed. But hey, we did get more action than either then did that night. <laughs> so it is clear who the real winner here is. <laughs> um, and lastly, this is at the end of grade eight, I believe. Um, I really liked a boy named Derek. And I decided to take out my anger in a rap song, which I will drop for you now. It was the beginning and end of my rap career. So, <laughs> so it goes a little something like this. Um, I'm so sick you ignore me in the hallways at school. You make out with my cousin, and that's not cool. <laughs> if only I could make you see that the other girls are sluts, and you should be with me. <laughs> Don't suck face with every other girl in school. That's not cool, and if you do that, then you're a fool and a tool. I really like you. Can't you like me? Derek, me, and you are fucking meant to be. <laughs> Thank you. Growing up through things they've wrote as kids, there are certain formats that are always popular. Diary entries, poetry, song lyrics. But every once in a while, we hear a type of kid writing that's a little less common. Hello, Daddy. This is Sheila speaking. I don't know whether you can recognize my voice or not, but anyhow, you can make an attempt at Our next reader, Sheila, was a teenager during the Second World War. Her father was a colonel with the Calgary Highlanders and was sent overseas. And as a way to stay in touch with her father, Sheila made an audio recording, a record of her own voice to be sent to her father. This is a novel idea, isn't it? It's making a record, except that I'm quite at loss with something to say. And at our show in Victoria, B.C., Sheila got on stage to read a transcript of that record more than 75 years after it was first made. Testing. <laughs> One, two, three. I have your attention. 
This is from side one. Hello, Daddy. This is Sheila speaking. I don't know if you can recognize my voice or not, but somehow you can make an attempt at it. It's a novel idea, isn't it, this making a record? Except I'm quite at a loss for something to say. <laughs> not now. I just love being down here in Toronto. Of course, I like Calgary better, but then that's perfectly natural, isn't it? Toronto is a huge place. I've been out every Saturday, and I've had just a marvelous time. I went out for the Thanksgiving holiday with a day girl and pretty well saw the town. It was simply wonderful. I've had oodles of letters from Mother. We really correspond quite regularly. As you probably heard, Sen is the proud father of 13 puppies. Aunt Dorothy took me out last Saturday and she said, they're darling. Freddie, my younger brother, now 87, <laughs> wants one quite badly and even shed a few tears, I'm told. But Mum says she couldn't have another t dog tear up Cope's garden. One was enough. <laughs> You're probably wondering how Aunt Dorothy took me out. Well, it's a long story, but I'm leaving the petty things in. So I might as well tell you this. <laughs> Aunt Dorothy was visiting Louise, and so when she was in Montreal, she took Sydney out my darling, lovely, older sister. And when she was in Toronto, she picked me up. She didn't seem overly enthusiastic about <laughs> seeing me. But I guess that's just her manner. Remember how we used to laugh at her out at the ranch? It was fun, though. It's really a mumbo-jumbo record, I'm afraid, but there's so much I want to tell you. I don't know where to begin. Side two, Sydney is really the worst nut. The way, she, the way she goes around with a boy for about two weeks and then gets sick of him. Mother and I are disgusted with it. I've been seeing a lot of Ruby Arthur in here, and I think she's a peach of a girl. She's lots of fun and quite cute looking. I sleep in two bedrooms with a girl from St. Catharines. I'm just crazy about her, and we get along wonderfully. It's really more fun, and you don't know how much I love it here and appreciate Mom and you sending me here. My studies are better this year, too, you'll be glad to know. <laughs> I sound awfully stiff and formal on this record, don't I? But I'm really not trying to. I'm trying to make it sound just as if I was talking right to you. My time's up. So good night, Daddy, and Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. And I hope we'll be seeing you soon. Then there's a little more on the record. Daddy darling, 
I've just discovered that my record wasn't the full three minutes long. <laughs> and that I really can say some more. <laughs> I don't really have anything to tell you except that I miss you terribly. I always did tell you you were my best beau, didn't I? I remember the ranch and the bluegrasses we were going to roam with all the thoroughbreds. I guess we still have the thoroughbreds from the sound of your last letter, but I don't know about the ranch. This is really goodbye now. I miss you very much, Dad. And when you see me again, you may find my features different. Although I'll always really be the same. Thank you. You can catch Sheila at our spin-off series, Grown Ups Read Transcripts of Audio Recordings They Sent to Their Fathers During the War They Recorded as Kids. Read a very mumble-jumble record, I'm afraid, but there is so much I want to tell you, and I don't know quite where to begin. When Simon was 15 years old, he was uh, participating in a wilderness therapy drug rehab program, and he ran away. He was in the middle of a mountain range in Montana and was not sure if he was going to survive his escape. So he wrote what he calls a kind of final confession that he carried on him in a small leather pouch so people might be able to find it on his dead body. (laughs) He's going to read that for us now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to our stage, Simon. First, I'm going to read the letter that I left behind uh, to everyone that I ran away from. I must take control of my own life. This is a very difficult decision, but I must be on my way. Good luck to the other students, and I appreciate their support. Thank you to the staff. You did all you could, but it isn't enough. If I do die on my path to freedom, (laughs) it was completely worth it because I have the power to make a decision for myself, and I am in control. Good luck, Simon. This is the letter that I had on on myself. This isn't the actual confession, just like a cover letter. (laughs) Mom and Dad, if you are reading this and I haven't spoken to you, it means I did not get out of the wilderness successfully. (laughs) This program, I feel, was a mistake and that we could have done things on our own. I am praying that you don't have to read this, but it turned out that I died. (laughs) I would hate to have not said goodbye. I need to get out of here, and I am doing this for myself. I love you, and I'm sorry it had to end this way. 
I hope to see you soon, but if not, you failed in no way with me. Everything was my decision. Montana is beautiful, and I think out of any program, this was the best. Once again, I love you, and I'm sorry it had to end this way. I will be carrying more info on my body. (laughs) So if I were to die, search my remains for more answers. Again, I signed that one. Um, This is the confession. To my parents. My family and friends have been the most valuable things in my life. I believe drugs are anybody's choice and should be legalized, but not abused or corrupted. I planned on smoking pot either until the day I die or until I personally felt it was the time to stop. (laughs) My best friend is Tim. I want to be cremated and have my ashes spread partly with Uncle John's and partly at our home address. My greatest influence has been the art my parents showed me as a child. I've had sex with two girls. (laughs) Sophie and Karina. I did sell drugs, but only to buy weed. I never made profit. Any profit made was spent on food. My lower grades are because I really, truly did not care. I feel sorry for anybody I feel is at a permanent disadvantage to me. (laughs) Suicide has never been an option. I wish I could have gone skydiving. Moreover, I wish to have had lived the life of an adrenaline junkie. I love the outdoors and being in touch with nature. Everyone I've encountered has influenced me, and I held the highest respect for the great thinkers of the world. I believe in a higher power that runs on the basis of karma. Quesadillas made by me. (laughs) Quesadillas made by me, I could live off of. I have lied to get where I am in life. Ben and Phil are the two kids I dislike the most. I have never been content in a relationship. I wish I read more. I always believed I would be famous. I love fire. (laughs) I wish to settle down and have kids. I want anyone I've ever met to know what happened to me, if they ask or show interest in knowing. The last year has been the greatest time of my life. My favorite food is Malaysian roti. (laughs) I wish I could have been better at my music and art. I believe my high school has amazing teachers, but everything I learned I have taught myself. I have never been intimate with a girl worth having a relationship with. The last few weeks have been the the worst experience of my life. And finally, my favorite TV show ever was Dragon Ball Z. Thanks.
Um, I made about 300 miles, uh, ran about 12, and hitchhiked another 300 to the town of Missoula, where I ended up getting caught and sent right back. Um, so I was, I was only out of the woods for about 24 hours, but um, they really scared us into thinking that if we tried to run, we might not make it out alive. I really felt I knew better, but just in case, um, I wanted to just at least be honest for one time in my life. Uh, I really felt like I had been living a lot of a life of deceit and wanted to tell my parents everything just in case I wouldn't have a chance to in the future. Uh, it was also a major turning point in my life. Um, I was trying to take back control. And I think the most humbling thing was a realization that my best ideas might not be working out for me. Um, and I was doing a lot of stupid stuff then. Um, and I started to become open to, to some new ideas of how I might live my life. Just a little bit more peaceful with the world around me. Um, it led me to a whole lot of clarity about where my life was at, what I was doing, the trouble I was getting into. Um, and then I wanted to make a change. And it's always interesting to look back at that time. One of the things I love about this kind of writing is how it can capture a moment in time, how it can preserve what we were thinking and feeling long after those thoughts and feelings have blurred or faded in our own memories. Our next reader, Dan, brought along some journal entries he wrote when he was 13, right on the awkward, embarrassing edge of puberty. And in these journal entries, he captures exactly what it was like when girls stopped being gross and started to become very interesting. Just a quick heads up, Dan's reading does contain some cuss words, which we do not bleep. He also acknowledges the existence of embarrassing teenage boners. Okay, here's Dan. October 14th, 1996. It's only been two days, but being a teenager is the bomb. (laughs) Last night, Mom dropped me and Sean off at the mall to go see a movie. We were thinking about going to see Space Jam, but that's kids' stuff. We went to see... (laughs) We went to see Mighty Ducks 3. (laughs) And it was pretty good, but the best part came after the movie. Sean told me his girlfriend heard that Terry thinks I'm cute. Man, if she was my girlfriend, that would be amazing. I didn't think she liked me at all after I hit her in the face by accident (laughs) playing basketball last month. Man, she was pissed. But I think she must see how cool I am this year. Grade 7 rocks. October 17th, 1996. Get this, it says diary, and I crossed it and put journal. I asked Terry if she would dance with me at the dance next week, and she said probably. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she really does think I'm cute. Her and Lisa were saying that Sean and I should ask if we can put our desk next to theirs. I think I'm ready for my first serious girlfriend. It'll be a lot cooler than being Terry's boyfriend than it was being Stacy's. She sucked. (laughs) October 25th, 1996. Oh, man. The dance started so good, but ended so bad. I've been practicing my dance moves all week, and they were awesome. I was hoping they would play Tupac, and they did. I had a bunch of people clapping when I busted to California Love, and even Terry was smiling. I was nervous all night waiting to ask Terry to dance, but when the slow song came on, I had to make my move. 
She said yes when I asked if we could dance. My hand was all the way on her butt and everything. <laughs> but that's when it went shit ways. <laughs> Terry is tall, which I think is cool, but her boobs are right on my eye level. She let me put her hand on her butt and it was too much and I felt like I was getting a boner. I tried so hard to think of something gross like bugs or an old person eating ice cream. But it was too late. I was pressed close to Terry and it was no good. Full boner. I told her I was feeling sick and ran to the bathroom before the song was over. I didn't want to look like a spaz and not finish the song, so I splashed cold water on my face to make it go down. I ran back to the multi-purpose room, and Terry asked if I was feeling okay. She then looked at my pants. I splashed water all over them because I was rushing. Crap! I told her it was because when I washed my hands, but she was looking at me like I was crazy. The song was over and the lights came on. It really did look like I pissed my pants. She said she believed me, but I don't know, Journal. I don't know. You have to admit, Dan was pretty brave to get up on stage and bear his soul like that. But you know what I think took even more courage? How Dan managed to get his hands on his teenage journals. I did not have my journals, so I actually had to call my parents to read the journals. And as a 30-year-old, my mom read that back to me verbatim. (laughs) And I... Yeah, that was pretty awkward. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. We talk a lot about the courage it takes to get on stage and be open and honest and vulnerable in front of a room full of strangers. Our next reader, Juliana, read a diary entry she wrote when she was 12, which, in her own words, describes an act of resilience and determination. Please put your hands together for Juliana. A quick heads up, Juliana's diary entry references sexual assault. There's your heads up. Here's Juliana. I am uh, a grad student in the MFA in writing um, program at the U of S right now. I'm in my final year, about to defend my thesis. So, um, thank you. I am, thank you. I am a Treaty 6 girl. My mother is from James Smith Cree Nation. And my grandparents are survivors of the residential school system. And thank you. My thesis about is about um, uh, my experience um, in, with intergenerational trauma, and that in doing my thesis, I've realized that that is a real thing. So I've had to go back and read my diaries, and that's been one of the most difficult and challenging things. So I'm just going to read you an excerpt. Um, I was 12, about to turn 13. In this entry, <sighs> July 15th, 1981. Hi, dear diary. I babysat at Mandy's tonight. 
Her daughter Lulu is a brat. <laughs> but I needed the money for that new ABBA record. <laughs> I want more than mint-flavored Laura Secord chocolate bars. And that's saying a lot. The ABBA album is called Super Trooper, and there is a song on it that I just love called Lay All Your Love On Me. It's such a good song. The whole album is good. I wonder if they would come and do a concert in Dawson Creek. If I could get a petition going with a bunch of signatures from people that would like to see them do a concert here, I bet they'd come. I cleaned Mandy's house after I put Lulu to bed, and that usually gets me a few extra bucks. The record costs about $15 or so, tax not included. But here's the big fat catch. I didn't get paid, and Mandy didn't tell me that her husband was coming home early. He told me to wait, because she'd be home soon. It was totally weird, sitting there on the living room floor. He told me to come and sit on the couch beside him. And I started to feel weird, but he kept bugging me and bugging me to sit by him. So instead, I went to sit in Lulu's rocking chair, which barely fit my butt, by the way. He told me I didn't have to be nervous. I wasn't nervous. I was scared. But I think I annoyed him or something, because he got up off the couch and lifted up the rocking chair with me in it and shook me out of it. I fell on the floor, and just as I was getting up, he pushes me back, pins me down, with his knees on my arms, and he started tickling me, then touching my boobs. But I remembered that Bruce Lee move from the movie I watched with Andre and Joe. I think it was Fists of Fury or Enter the Dragon. I'm not sure which one, but he wraps his legs around the guy's shoulders and pulls him down and kicks him in the face. I wanted to make those Bruce Lee sounds, you know, where he goes... Kind of wrote it like that anyway. I managed to get off. I managed to get him off me because I started kicking him in the face. And I think I nailed him in the jaw. He looked kind of out of it. He didn't know who he was messing with. I got up and ran to the door and he yelled for me not to leave. But I said I would be back. I promised. And duh, I didn't go back, of course. I should have made all those Bruce Lee sounds again. Then he would have. <laughs> He would have known for sure who he was messing with. Then he would have thought twice about making moves on me. I was wearing coveralls, my Raggedy Ann coveralls, the ones where Mom had to sew on extra fabric because my legs had grown too long. I don't know what made me so appealing in those. I shouldn't have stayed. I probably gave him the wrong idea. I better get paid, though. I cleaned her toilets and washed the floors, too, on my hands and knees. I really want that ABBA record so bad, though. And of course, when I was walking home, I could hear the sound of loud music coming from our house. It's so embarrassing. I think the whole town can hear the party going on at our house. There was actually a bass guitar player, a fiddle player, and two large amplifiers in our living room right now. The music is so loud, I can hardly think. If Mandy doesn't pay me, I'm never babysitting for her again. It's just another day in the lame life of Julie. I'm home, though and sort of safe now, but there's a bunch of strangers in the house now, so I'll put a knife in the door just in case. P.S. I'm going roller skating now. Tomorrow with Tammy and Berta. So I should go to bed. But that might change now, because I have no money for babysitting. Okay. Good night, dear diary. P.S. Summer holidays are so boring. Thank you. 
After the show, Juliana called in to reflect on her diary entry. It was a super difficult time in my life, and I, you know, it's, it's really sad to say, but there wasn't really too many happy moments. But this was the one moment where I, you know, showed victory, and, and, and this, there was this act of resilience, as I had said. Um, but also, you know, this is a different story. It's a different narrative that's happening now in Canada. It's an Indigenous story. I'm an urban girl. And this is the sort of story that needs to be told. I mean, we need to be sharing this, and there needs to be a national awareness of the intergenerational survivors. So that was part of my motivation. The other part, as I said, it was an act of resilience, and that little 13-year-old girl was pretty, pretty um, well, a, a good demonstration of what I would call firecrackers. So... <laughs> Joining us on stage right now, Tish is going to share a play that she wrote in middle school, and grammar nerds rejoice. This is a play about grammar (laughs) titled Grammar. Please welcome to our stage, Tish. Narrator. Somewhere among the many unknown planets, there was once a noun, flying in his spaceship phrase. He looked at the controls and discovered that he was just about out of fuel, so he landed on the very next planet he saw, which happened to be grammar. When he climbed out of his ship, he started looking around for a refueling station. Suddenly, a mass figure stepped out from behind a tree and poked a gun into noun's back. Pronoun, surly, jabbing with his gun. Who are you? Arms above his head. I am a noun. I'm harmless. What is a noun? Surely you've heard of me. I am a naming word. A word like man, house, tree, fun. I thought so. Well, you had better get out of here quick. You see, I'm a pronoun. Oh, no. We take the place of nouns on the planet grammar. There are... There are plenty of us pronouns to do your work. You aren't safe around us. Well, I I didn't mean to come, really. I don't want to stay. Good, then get moving. But first I have to refuel. Where can I get some action? Action? You'll have to see verb for that. He expresses the action around here. Where can I find him? Can you describe him for me? Look, mister, I don't do any describing. You'll have to find adjective. Adjective will do your describing for you. And where do I find adjective? Find him yourself. I don't answer the question where. Now, don't let me see you here when I come back. I'll give you five minutes. Oh, what a place. Did I hear someone mention helpful little me? Are you adjective? Of course I am, you big, strong man. (laughs) You must be a noun. Oh, I do like nouns. I love to describe or modify them. (laughs) 
pronouns too, but they're so rough and crude. If nouns are plain, ordinary, stupid old things, I can make them beautiful, different, and smart. What can I do for you? Narrator, noun explained. Adjective, I'm afraid I can't help poor little you. I never have anything to do with verb. He thinks he is so important. But here comes adverb. He's a close friend of verb. Silly, stuck-up creature. Why don't you ask him? I can't stand either of them. Goodbye. (laughs) Pardon me, but are you adverb? Certainly, surely, definitely, truly. (laughs) Then you're just the person I'm looking for. Why? How? When? Where? Noun, I understand that you were a friend of verb. I'm trying to find him. A friend of verb, indeed I am. Ah, yes, yes, and yes. In fact, I modify verb constantly. He would be very dull, very dull if it weren't for me. Also, infrequently, I modify adjectives and other adverbs. Though I do not like to, it lowers my dignity. You, I presume, are a noun. That's right. Well, I'm indescribably busy, frightfully busy. I have no time to bother with nouns. Good day. Don't go yet. I want to be connected with verb. Connected? Dear, dear, that's not my type of work. You'll have to talk to conjunction over there. (laughs) Are you conjunction? Yes, but don't expect much help from me. I'm just a joiner, just a nut and bolt around here. You may call me and if you want to. What a name, and. All my family have names like that, but, or, when, while, because. Such a dreary life we lead. Joining, joining, joining. Can you connect me with verb? I want to get my phrase started. I'd like to, but I don't know where he is. I don't know anything. As I told you, I'm just a nut. Good grief. The sooner I get off this planet, the better. I guess I'll have to find verb by myself. Who's coming now? Oh, alas, where? Phew, ouch. Is there something wrong? Can I help you? Oh, no. I'm just expressing feelings. All of us interjections do that. Wow. You sure you're all right? Yowza, who are you? Oh, my, oh, mercy me. I know verb, and I know that he is in every sentence. In fact, without verb, you can't have a sentence. Golly, think of that. But where is he now? Goodness gracious. Verb. Are you the noun that has been looking for me? You're a good subject for one of my sentences. What can I do for you, old chap? All I want to do is refuel and get off this crazy planet. Very good. Come with me. I'll see that you get your preposition. What is that? I want some fuel to get my ship started. Preposition start phrases. Your ship is named phrase. Preposition will take you in any direction you want to go. Up, down, around, about, to, from, on, up. Off! That's what I want. Off. Lead me to him. Come back anytime you want. I'd like to have you on grammar. Interjection. Yippee! Narrator. So Noun started his ship phrase with a preposition and took off into space. That's all. The end. Do you want to know the best part? After Tish wrote that, she went on to become an English teacher. When Derek was 16, he had a high school girlfriend. And as a way to express his feelings for her, Derek wrote a poem titled, I'll Do. So yes, my name is Derek, and this hilarious poem uh, I wrote as a 16-year-old me. 
Uh, I was hungry, horny, and poor. Um, I wrote it for my first love. Uh, she never heard it, and for some reason, I'm going to share it with you awesome people. All do. When I'm set with my dream house in cash, I'm going to buy us an endless food stash. Cupboards and freezers will be packed galore. We'll never run out, because every day I'll buy more. I want to eat like the Incredible Hulk. Someday I'll show you what I call buying in bulk. Pasta, salad, chicken, and steak. I'll cook extra food just for the sake. I'll cook, clean, and make a home with you. These are some of the many things I'll do. Every morning, the first thing I'll do is wake up early and make breakfast for you. After we've eaten our morning grub, I'll run the hot water and carry you to the tub. Oh, yeah. I'll bathe with you and wash your hair. Then make passionate love to you while we're bare. I'll gently dry your moist, smooth skin, then keep you warm by cuddling. Oh, yeah, it gets better. I'll lay you down and hit those spots, relieving the tension by massaging the painful knots. I'll hold you in my arms and we'll watch a movie. I'll spend time with you doing simple things the way it should be. I'll make you laugh every day just to know your glamorous smile would stay. And on a rainy day during a storm, I'll cuddle with you, watch movies, and snack on popcorn. We'll sit around and go nowhere, then make passionate love on the couch while we're there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. After our marathon... Seriously. Seriously. After our marathon, we'll both have an appetite. I'll cook his chicken fajitas. That'll hit the spot just right. Oh, yeah. Right now, money is the one thing I lack. It won't be forever, and I'll make it up to you in many ways, especially in the sack. Yeah. I'll give you the affection that you truly deserve by pampering, massaging, and tingling your nerve. Oh, yeah. I'll I'll show you my idea of the term romance. I'll take you out for dinner, then to a club, and I'll ask you to dance. When you're tired, I'll take you home to our fortress where only wildlife roam. I'll open the door and let you in then we can do again what the Catholic Church considers sin. (laughs) 
we'll brush our teeth, then go to bed. I'll end our night with those three words that should always be said. I'll hold you in my arms and kiss your cheeks. I tell you now, I don't play for fun. I play for keeps. When I was digging through the archives to put together this episode, I found an MP3 file labeled Grownups Read Things They Wrote as Kids 1. That's what we're listening to right now. This is what it sounded like upstairs at the Victory Cafe in Toronto in early 2007, just a few minutes before the very first live Grownups Read Things They Wrote as Kids event. There were just a couple dozen people in the room. I was terrified. We had never done one of these before. We had no idea if it was going to work. So I made sure the recorder was recording. And we started. Look at that. Hello. 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 Good evening. Welcome to uh, the very first and probably maybe only grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. My name is Dan Meisner, and I'd like to thank you all very much for coming this evening. I know that there are a lot of things uh, that you could, you could be doing instead of this. I'm aware of that, and I'm glad that you're here with us tonight because I think we're going to have some fun. So that was how our very first live event started, in a room above a bar that does not exist anymore. And the thing is, I still feel the same way. Our show only works because of the people who get up on our stage, the people who stand up and volunteer to be open and honest and vulnerable, to share their lives with a room full of strangers. That takes courage. So if you've been on our stage in the past 13 years, thank you. If you've come to one of our shows, thank you. And if you have spent time with us through the radio show, through the podcast, through our online videos, thank you. I know there are lots of other things you could choose to do with your time. And I'm really glad you're here with us. Okay, ready? I'll play. One, two, three, four. That has been Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids for Season 6 and for a while. We plan to be back with more podcast episodes soon, but before we can do that... We need to gather more new material for the show, and that means we need your help. I would love to hear the stuff that you wrote when you were a kid live on our stage. So, get digging, and if you haven't already, join our email newsletter. That's where we first announce new live events, and it's how you can find out when we will be in your town. You can sign up for the newsletter at grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. Just put in your email address and your town, and we will be sure to send you a heads up. That's grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com, and click on newsletter. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.
wait until I'm the premier of Newfoundland so I can pay someone to shave my legs for me. (laughs) 